what a privilege it is on New Year's Day to come to the house of the Lord to worship. And I wonder as we begin today, if we just couldn't bow just for a moment as we look into the Word of God. Father, on this New Year's Day, the prayer from our heart comes from the words of that little devotional chorus. Oh, to be like Thee. Oh, to be like Thee. Blessed Lord Jesus, pure as Thou art, come in Thy fullness, come in Thy sweetness, stamp Thine own image deep in my heart. And Father, as we look into Your Word, we pray that You'll help us to take that little golden nugget that will help us in our spiritual lives. And as we walk out into unknown, unknown days, we know that you're there. And so when we put our hands into your hand, lead us and direct us in paths of righteousness for your namesake. Take your word and burn it deep within our hearts today. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking of a little village and uh, the whole population, it seemed, of that little town was at the ballpark, and they had gathered in the stands to watch their local marching band march. And that band was marching in perfect precision. Everything was going great, almost. But there was one young man that seemed to be just out of sync with everyone else. When they were putting their right foot down, he was putting his left foot down. And when they were turning right, he was going left. And when it came to lifting their instruments to their lips, he was always about two seconds late. He just seemed to be out of sync. And people were watching. And that dear mother of that boy turned to his father and she said, Will you look at that? The whole band, the whole band is out of step, except Jimmy. Now, not like his mother, you know, we cannot always gloss over the mistake of others, but we can address the issues gently and, and tactfully. In fact, many years ago, and I, I don't know where I heard it, I don't know whether I read it, but it made such an indelible mark on my mind that on my appointment book, every year when I get a new appointment book, right at the very first page, I put that little phrase, whoever said it, I do not know. But that phrase goes like this, be kind, for everyone you are meeting is facing a battle. It reminded me of the words found in the book of Proverbs. You know, Solomon, the wisest man that ever, ever lived. And Solomon penned these simply little words. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold. In baskets of silver. Tradition has it that, that Solomon, who had wealth beyond measure, when he would have guests come to his palace to have a banquet or for a lunch, at the center of the table there was a basket of silver. And he had that basket of silver filled with golden apples. So after you had your, your meal together and, and you had the fellowship with the king, the king would pick up that silver basket and he'd hand it to the one next to him and it would be passed around the table. And he said to everyone sitting at the table, take an apple of gold as a memento of lunch with the king. Now I have in my hands a basket of silver 
Or you can call it a silver basket. And within this silver basket, there are apples of gold. I call them promises. And in this blessed book, this basket of silver, there are promises for salvation. There's promises for assurance. There's promises for guidance. There's promises for conquest. There's promises for strength. Many, many, many promises which are apples of gold. And I was raised in a Christian family, and Father would uh, push us children to pick a verse of Scripture. Call it your year verse. So every New Year's, we would try to find a verse that would be our verse for that year. And the other day I sat at my desk and I looked back over all the verses that I had picked <clears throat> since I was a young man. And I looked back and to think what happened during that year. And when problems come, or there was a bump in the road, I could go back to my verse of scripture, my year text, and I would find this encouragement and hope and, and guidance and direction. And so, Pastor, <clears throat> Kenworthy knew that I always picked a year verse. So when he came to ask me to, to speak this morning, he said, why don't you take some of your year verses? Well, you know, those are very personal. And, uh, but let me share with you. Last year, in 2005, my year verse was in Psalm 25. And it went like this. Show me thy ways, Lord, for you are the God of my salvation on you. I trust all the day long. Now, in this new year, I searched and searched for a new year verse. And so my year verse for 2006 is simply this. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Whatever you do, do all for the glory of the Lord. Now, I could take those verses and, and I could preach from them. But would you permit me this morning to look into this basket of silver? And I'd like to reach into this basket of silver and take out some promises or apples of gold that we all can use. Maybe you can claim one of them for your year verse for 2006. And so as I, as I open my, my Bible or this basket of silver, the first apple of gold I would like to take from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Casting all your care upon him. For he careth for you. Now, I wonder if this promise isn't referring to the little things in our lives that annoy us. You know, we cannot cast the big things, but we can cast a ball, or we can cast a book, we can cast a stone. These are the little things. And so many times, it is the little things that annoy us most. But at times... Those little things annoy us to no end. You know, they're at the office. Some of them just like to talk to be talking. Like one person said, they just talk to hear the lips flap. And then you know that one there in the office, when they walk to the water cooler, they don't lift up their feet, they shuffle along. Or maybe they're sitting there at the desk and they're tapping their pencil. And that tapping just about drives you out of your mind. And then when you get home, it seemed like everybody in the home was talking. And then the telephone rings. And then the dog starts barking. Then there's a knock on the door. These little things annoy us. And Jesus said, cast all your care upon me. 
Those little things we can cast. But you know, friends, there are some things just too big for us to cast. I can't walk over to this grand piano and throw it. It's impossible. So when I come to those big things, I said, Lord, do you have a verse? Do you have something that would help me? I can't cast that burden. And so the Lord said, well, what about Psalm 37, verse 5? Roll thy burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain thee. Oh, the cares, friends, and the burdens that at times are so heavy. Death in the family, financial problem, serious accident, serious illness. These are heavy burdens. And the Lord said, just roll them upon me. I'll never forget the morning when my little brother Harold, seven years of age, there were seven of us children, and, and of course we had not such a big home. And so little Harold would, would sleep on a cot in the parents' room. But that morning when Father got out of bed, little Harold said, Dad, I think I broke my arm during the night. And Father walked over by his cot and he said, Son, did you fall out of bed? No, sir. But he said, I can't move it. And Father reached down. He picked up that little arm. And as he picked it up, he let loose and it just dropped by his side. And Father ran down the steps and he rang the old telephone. He called the old country doctor. And Dr. Tyler was at the house in just a few moments. He ran upstairs and he sat by Harold's side and he examined him and he turned to my father and he said, Walter, you better get him to the hospital. Mom and dad and Harold rushed to the hospital in Des Moines. And after some examinations, the doctor took my father aside and said, your little son has bulbar polio. He was paralyzed from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. He couldn't even breathe by himself. And they put him in the old-fashioned iron lung, which looks like a 50-gallon barrel. But they pushed little Harold into that lung, and it began to breathe for him. Now, I know there was nothing said between Dad and Harold, but as I stood by my dad's side, I saw that little boy looking up into the eyes of his dad. And it seems as though those eyes were saying to his father, Dad, can't you do something? And looking at my dad, he looked back and he said, Son, I wished it was me. What a burden I saw my parents carry those next months as that little boy struggled for life. It's a burden that they couldn't cast. They had to roll it upon the Lord. But as I was thinking about it, I thought, that's true. But, but do you realize, my dear people, this morning, that the heaviest burdens that men face today is the burden of sin. That burden of sin begins to eat at you from the inside out. And that burden of sin finds you out in your character. And it finds you out in your children. And it finds you out in your conscience. It finds you out... In public shame, David said, as he penned the Psalms, he said, My bones waxed old within me 
when I tried to cover my sin. Dr. Wilbur Smith, one of the great theologians of our day who has now gone to be with the Lord, a brilliant, brilliant man. I had the privilege of traveling with him over to Palestine. But uh, Dr. Smith or Wilbur uh, mentioned that his teacher in Oxford was a, a Ph.D. He, he, he had uh, an education that was almost beyond measure. he became an authority on Shelley. He had a beautiful wife and two wonderful children. And Dr. Werber Smith said uh, that man one day with all of his brilliancy and his position left his family with another woman. A little later, he started to drink. Then he lost his job. He lost his friends. He started to forge checks. And then Dr. Smith said, I, I, I lost track of him. But he said, one day, I was asked to speak in New York City. It so happened that the announcement of Dr. Wilbur Smith to be speaking at a certain place in New York. And this Oxford professor saw that Dr. Smith was going to be in New York. And he wrote Dr. Smith just a note and said, When you come to New York, please see me. I must see you. When Dr. Wilbur Smith got into New York, he, he went over to a cheap hotel. And he climbed up those old rickety steps. And as he came to the reception, an elderly gentleman was there. And he looked up and he said, Who are you? And Dr. Smith said, I'm Wilbur Smith. I've come to see Dr. Peck. Is he in? Yes, I think he is. And he left. He went back into the kitchen. And he brought Dr. Peck out. And there this Ph.D. from, from Oxford, a great man in his intellectual ability, there he stood in tennis slippers. He, he had a, a trousers that had been worn so long they were shiny and they were held up with a rope. Most of his teeth were gone. His face was bloated. And, and he stood there before Dr. Wilbur Smith and and. Wilbur said, oh, Dr. Peck, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you've been drinking. I got your note, and I've come to see you. And they visited a while, and though this professor realized that his need was in God, and that Christ could change his life, he just would not yield. And they parted company. And Dr. Wilbur Smith said he didn't hear from him. He lost track of him. And then, one day, looking in the New York Times paper, there was a notice. They found Dr. Peck dead in the doorway on the Bowery in New York. Friends, he could quote thousands of lines of English poetry. He was a scholar in the eyes of the world. But all of his scholarly achievements never released him from the burden of sin. And my friend this morning, if you've got the burden of sin, listen. Music, art family, nature, none of these things will remove the burden. It comes from Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that are labor and heavy burdened, I'll give you rest. Oh, the verse that I love so much throughout the Scriptures is that verse found in Isaiah, where the Lord said, Come unto me, and let us reason together. 
Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And my friend, if you're here with that heavy burden of sin, or whatever the burden is, roll it upon the Lord. Accept God's gift of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. For the Bible says, He that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Oh, that golden apple we need to take and hug it to ourselves. Cast all your care upon him, for he careth for you. But I reach into the book, and I take out another apple. And that promise is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1. Cast thy bread upon the water, for you shall find it after many days. I've read that verse so many, many times. And I thought, how can it be? I must confess I have been puzzled. I've been confused. We were raised right close to the Des Moines River running down through Iowa. And I've been on that river so many times. And I take a slice of bread and I throw it into the water. If it ever did come back to shore, it was soggy and dirty and unappetizing and uneatable. And yet the Bible says, cast your bread upon the water and it will return unto you after many days. And I want to look up and say, that's great, but what good is it? It's uneatable. It's soggy. And then one day, I think I found the answer. As I was studying... I discovered that back in those ancient days, and in that particular locality where this was written, rice was referred to as their bread. It was their stable food, as bread is to us. Now, you can take that handful of rice, which will give you a small cake, or you can take that handful of rice, and you can cast it upon the waters on that rice paddy. And it will sprout and grow. And that handful of rice will come back to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. A great harvest. Now the Lord says, you can take this life and hug it to yourself. But if you do, you lose it. However, if you cast your life upon the rivers of humanity, it will come back and return. Oh, I read the other day of a Christian family driving down the highway. Their little eight-year-old boy was sitting between mom and dad in the front seat. All of a sudden, a car came up behind them at a terrific rate of speed. And when it got to them, it began to pass. And it went around them in great order. And just as it came to the crest of the hill, something happened. And he lost control, and the car went sideways and started to skidding. And when it went sideways and started to skid, it hit another car. And bodies and limbs were thrown all over the highway. All the rest of the trip, that father said, that little boy didn't say a thing. They got to their destination and they went to bed that night. And it came to be 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. And the father, sitting beside the bed of that little boy, turned to him and he said, Son, why don't you try to sleep? And that boy sat up and tears running across his cheeks. He said, Daddy, when people die, can we sleep? I wonder this morning, 
We have a handful of rice. But instead of casting it upon the waters, we're hugging it to ourselves. And we're shriveling up. Jesus said, he that loveth his life shall lose it. But he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Oh, again, I read just this week uh, a story coming out of Africa. See, Leslie Miller tells about an incident that happened as he was traveling up the river in the Congo. And their boat docked beside a, uh, an oil rig that was fastened there. And so this boat with many passengers pulled up beside that oil rig and, and fastened it. And as soon as it was tied, the natives came rushing on with all their produce to sell their produce to these people on board that ship or boat. And there was one dear native lady laden with all of her her vegetables and, and things to sell to the people on the boat. She tried to step across. And as she stepped across, her foot slipped on that oil rig. And she threw their produce all over. She dropped between the two. And as she was going under the water, she grabbed up. And she grabbed the, the deck of that, that boat. And she hung there. And she cried, help me. Help me. And the natives were coming with their produce. And they almost trampled on her fingers. And they just went on to sell their produce. And finally she could hang on no longer. And her hands slipped and she dropped into the water. And the current took her downstream. And Leslie Miller said as he looked down the current, he saw a black hand go above the water and then disappear. The captain on the boat said to those natives, why didn't help her? She's some of your relatives. Why didn't you help her? And they just turned without even a, a guilt of any kind saying, but we might have dropped some of our produce if we tried to save her. As I read it, I thought, heartless, yes. But folks, could I be very pointed just for a few moments? Are we concerned about those about us who are in need? Concerned about those enough to lay aside what we are doing to answer a cry. Outwardly they're laughing, inwardly they're crying. In our walk with God, in our fellowship with the Lord, are we willing to take our hands off? And are we willing to cast our bread upon the water and say, Holy Spirit, control us and help us to help the one in need. Jesus said, cast your bread upon the water and it will return a hundredfold. But oh, I've got to have one more apple of gold. It's really called the golden text of the Bible. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Can I break it down? For God so loved the world, there's the breadth of God's love, that he gave his only begotten Son, there's the length of God's love, that he, whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. That's the depths. But have everlasting life. That's the height. 
How can we comprehend this? How can my little mind grasp the meaning of the breadth, the length, the depth, the height, and to know the love of God which is in Christ Jesus? How broad is the love of God? Oh, there are many that have tried to define it. But language and pictures cannot give us the breadth of God's love. David himself said, as far as the east is from the west, he'll cast our sins from us. That's love. No matter who we are or what we are, I'll forgive and I'll cast them sin as far as the east is from the west. And I say, that's great. But how can we divide it? How can we divide it? The length and the breadth and to know the love of God. Have you ever stopped to think how far is the east from the west? You know, to a person living in New York, they say Minnesota is west. You come to Minnesota and they say California is west. And you get to California and you say Hawaii is west. You go to Hawaii and China is west. You go to China, Africa is west. Go to Africa, New York is west. You're right back where you started. There is no east and west markers to measure by. And so it is with God's love. God's love is so broad. It includes all people of every race, of every color, of every tongue. God's love reaches to the educated, the uneducated, to the rich, to the poor. God's love is found in his arms, stretched from a Roman cross that could be reached around the world. The breadth of God's love. But what about the length? Well, the Bible tells us that God loved us with an everlasting love. My friends, that's a love that has no end. For God commended his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. As somehow we could grasp the length of God's love. It reaches the world. God so loved the world. But look at the depth. Much has been written about the dimensions of God's love, but I've, they just can't seem to find words to describe the depth. You know what the Bible says? He who knew no sin was made sin for us. And when my sin was placed upon God, God, God turned his back. He could not look upon sin. And Jesus alone on the cross... In that darkest hour of life, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But there's still more. There's the height. How high is the love of God? It's so that he can reach to the lowest and lift us up to the highest. In fact, all of you who have taken history in school, history gives to us the story of Napoleon soldiers opening the prison of Inquisition. It was a prison where many believers were slain. These your people were put to death. But in this underground prison, they found a skeleton of a Spanish prisoner. His flesh and his clothing were gone. But a part of his ankle bone with a chain attached to it was still there. But upon the wall where that skeleton was laying... He had etched with a metal object of some kind a cross. 
And at the top of that cross, he had etched etched the word height. And below the cross, he had etched the word depth in Spanish. On one arm, he etched the word breadth. On the other, length. That poor prisoner, slowly starving to death in that dungeon, was thinking of the wonder of the love of Christ. And to him, the cross summed it all up. For all of God's forgiveness, all of God's mercy was manifested at the cross. All the condemnation God had against sin was put upon Christ at the cross. All of the judgment and the wrath of a righteous God against sin was showered upon his son on a Roman cross. The cross tells the story. In the cross of Christ I glory, towering o'er the wrecks of time. All the light of sacred story gathers around his head, sublime. I have three girls, I'm sure you all know. I'm proud of all three of them. Just as you're proud of your children. The other day as I came to my study and I was sitting there reading, all of a sudden I began to think, Supposing I lived in a country where there was no freedom. One day the soldiers come into my home and they take me and they bind me. And then they take my oldest girl, Nancy. And they would blindfold her. And then they would spit in her face. They would take a crown of thorns and they'd press it on her head pressing it down so the thorns would pierce deep into her skull. There I was looking, watching it all. How do you think I feel? Then suppose they would pull her clothes from her and with her naked body bend her over a stump. And then they would nearly beat her to death. And then they would release her and throw her to the ground and Fasten her to a cross that lift her between earth and sky. There in open shame, she was struggling to breathe. How do you think I would feel as I see her lips swell and, and her throat so dry for a lack of water? How do you think I would feel as she would look down and she would look at me and she would say, Dad... Why did you forsake me? Folks, that would be the worst thing any father would have to go through. But that's what God went through. God saw them blindfold his son Jesus. He saw them spit in his face. He saw them scourge him at the Roman stump. He saw them push the crown of thorns upon his head. He saw them drive the nails into his hands and his feet and fasten him to a cross. He heard their cry. Then he heard his son said, Father, why have you forsaken me? My friends, I'll never be able to get over the truth that my father in heaven was willing to watch his son go through it all that I might have eternal life. 
God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I wonder this morning, how are you going to repay that love? Will you turn your back on him and say, I want to live my own life? Will you experience the joy of sins forgiven because of Calvary? When I was a boy, there were many orphanages across the country. One famous orphanage was down in Fort Worth, Texas. Down in Fort Worth, Texas, Dr. Buckner founded the Children's Orphanage. And all the things that you could read about Dr. Buckner, that he was such a man of God, and he loved every child. And one day out in western plains of Texas, a little ranch home caught on fire. When the neighbors were able to get to that home, everyone had been burned to death. The home was gone. Life was gone. But there was a little girl out under a tree that was badly burned, and she lay there suffering. They picked up that little girl and rushed her to the hospital. And after many weeks and months, she was finally nursed back to health, but badly, badly scarred. The neighbors thought, what shall we do? We can't take care of her. And so they thought, let's contact Dr. Buckner. They contacted Dr. Buckner, and they told the story. And Dr. Buckner replied, we'll make room, send her on a certain train, and I'll meet her myself. So those neighbor ladies sewed some clothes and bought things and fixed her up for a little wardrobe because she had lost everything. They put her on that particular train, and that little girl as that train pulled out of the station was leaving everything that she knew. She was going into a strange land, and her little nose was up against the window pane, the tears running across her cheeks as she waved goodbye to those whom she knew. And pulled out into the horizon. The train pulled into Fort Worth, Texas. Dr. Buckner was there. And that little girl with that little suitcase stepped off of that train. And as she stepped off, she saw the milling crowds. She became afraid. She stood on the side for a while, and then she saw this gentleman standing. And she went over, and she looked up. And to her choked voice, she said, Are you Dr. Buckner? He said, Yes. You must be little Mary. Yes, I am. He put his arm around her and hugged her. And she looked up and she said, Will you be my mother and daddy both? He said, I'll do my best. He took her to the orphanage. He introduced her to the children. That little Mary was willing to do anything for anybody. She was so thrilled to be in a place that she could call home. When Dr. Buckner would leave for a day or two, it is said that the children, when he returned, would run down to the curb so when he pulled in, they would welcome him home. On one occasion, as he pulled along the curb, those boys and girls all ran out, and Mary stood on the back. 
But she stood there and watched it all as one child after the other jumped in the arms of Dr. Buckner and welcomed him home, and he would kiss them. After many had done that, he looked over and he saw little Mary. And he said, Mary, aren't you glad I'm back? She turned her back as she began to sob. And he pushed the other boys and girls aside. And he walked over. And he stood behind her and he said, Mary, aren't you glad I'm back? She turned around and she looked up to Dr. Buckner. And she said, Dr. Buckner, I'm so glad you're back. I perhaps love you more than anybody else in the home. But I couldn't ask you to kiss me because my face is so scarred and so ugly. And they said that that man of God reached down and picked up that little girl and he kissed those scars and he said, Mary, you're just as lovely as every other boy and girl. As I read the story, I thought I too was scarred and burned with sin. And as a teenager, I bowed at the cross and I found Christ was willing to forgive. And he loved me just like he loved everyone else. And I say to you this morning, on a New Year's Day, if the burden of sin has been so heavy on your life, there's room at the cross. If you've been walking with Christ, but it seems as though that you've compromised a little bit, somehow or another the fire has gone out. The Lord says, come unto me, cast all your burden, I'll give you rest. And he that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Our Heavenly Father, you know our needs this morning. There are those of us that need to have the fire rekindled. We need to throw ourselves upon the water of humanity. But, Father, take our lives and let them be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. So right now, will you speak to our hearts? Give us the courage to make the decision you want us to make. And while our heads are bowed, my dear friend, you've walked with Christ for many years, or maybe it's only been a year or two, or maybe a few months. But do you love the Lord like today like you did when you first met him? Have you compromised a little Are you willing to say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I love you. And in your own way, you can make that prayer. But I wonder if there's someone here this morning that has never really taken Christ as their personal Savior. Would you be willing this morning, right where you're sitting, just say, Lord Jesus, I've sinned. The burden has been heavy. Remove the guilt. Forgive me cleanse me and he will and will you do that right now our heavenly father you know the hearts of the people and as they make that prayer lord give them the joy that passeth all understanding we commit them to you and give them a great year lord answer that prayer right now i ask it in jesus name amen 
I'm not going to have you ask for an outward sign of any kind. But I wonder if you would do me a favor. If you've met Jesus Christ this morning, you've asked him to forgive you, to be your personal Savior. Would you be willing, as others are leaving, just to walk down? I'm going to stand right here. And would you just say, Paul, I accepted the Lord, and I want to rejoice with you. And then you can go on. You know, the Bible says, with the heart, confession is made. But with the mouth, confession is told. You believed, will you confess with your mouth? And thou shalt be saved. I wonder, I've asked John if he would play There's Room at the Cross. And I wonder, Paul, if you could put on the screen just the chorus and uh, so that we could sing. Could we stand? Could we sing just the chorus? And then we're going to be dismissed.